From Buzzcast Sports, you're listening to Blood and Beanbags, an in-depth look inside one of the greatest rivalries in the history of professional cornhole. My name is Arnold Turlish. In the summer of 1998, though it had been played for years, cornhole began to rapidly spread nationwide as one of the most competitive non-horseshoes backyard sports. Backyards turned into parking lots, and parking lots turned into bigger parking lots, and soon, World Championship Cornhole was born. During WCC's inaugural season, two larger-than-life personalities emerged. Andy Buckets Giovanni and Phil Dilworth. Their hatred of one another would forever change the sport of cornhole, for better or for worse. Uh, Quick warning, this episode contains some strong language. And now, here's producer Garrett Pooler with episode one. Look out below. Walking down the street I grew up on, more than 20 years later, it is nearly unrecognizable. Humble brick ranches have been replaced with eerily uniform, vinyl-sided monstrosities. The cars are different, the people are different, it even smells different. But there's one thing that is exactly the same, at least in June. Indeed, no matter how much everything else changes, cornhole remains the same. I'm back home for my cousin Ernest's grad party, but I'll be honest. I probably wouldn't have booked the flight if it weren't for how certain I was I'd be able to re-familiarize myself with the game before interviewing some of the sport's greatest figures. And even though I was playing an almost comically casual version of their deathly serious game, when I had that beanbag in my hand, I immediately imagined myself in the shoes of one of the greats, and not just because there was no set footwear for cornhole players. And the ability to so readily imagine oneself as a pro is what separates cornhole from more traditional sports like basketball, hockey, football, baseball, bowling, golf, tennis, curling, darts, swimming, ping pong, skateboarding, vert and street, sailing, rowing, wrestling, rugby, cricket, motocross, NASCAR, Formula One, all other auto racing, skiing, snowboarding, luge, dodgeball, and croquet. You think cornhole pro and imagine an overweight uncle, beanbag in one hand, beer in the other. Anyone could be pro at this, you might think. However, over the course of the next couple weeks, I'd find out just how flawed that reasoning was. Hello? You want a sandwich or something? I got a bologna. Uh, uh, no thanks, I ate on the way over. Your loss. This is Philip Dilworth, two-time WCC champion and one half of one of the most electric sports rivalries of the 90s. We first met in his one-bedroom apartment. We never spoke on the phone, we only DM'd on Twitter, so what you're hearing is actually our first real conversation, right after he gave me permission to start recording. He was wearing Abercrombie track pants and a hoodie with a silhouette of his own face. Beneath the face in bold font, it read, Look out below. Phil was just as rail thin as he'd been during his time in the WCC, but he looked good. So this show's about the WCC? Well, yes, but more specifically, it's about you and Andy Giovanni. May God strike him down. Okay, so that, that yes, that actually uh, answers one of my main questions. I'll answer any question. I don't give a fuck. He'll say he'll answer them, but he'll pass. He'll puss out. Buckets is a coward. You ask me any question, I will answer it to the best of my ability. 
Go ahead, ask me, ask me, ask me my favorite CD. Ask me my favorite CD. What's your favorite CD? Wedding Singer soundtrack, hands down. He probably said his favorite CD was uh, Wedding Singer, right? Well, right? How did you... Because that little weasel only ever listens to the Wedding Singer soundtrack. And you ask him to name any other Smith song, and he says, who's dad or some shit. All right? He doesn't know. He literally doesn't know music. So what's your favorite CD? I'd really, uh, I'd rather not say that. I think that's actually, uh, private. By now you've probably guessed who this is. Andy Giovanni, or Buckets, as most would know him, was just about Dilworth's exact opposite then, and perhaps even more so at the time of our interview. Overweight, loud, and rich. Dilworth was still living off of his WCC earnings and convention appearances, and a little from merch. But a series of good investments, most notably in Under Armour, made his rival Giovanni a very wealthy man. You know, usually some guys or gals are, uh, are winners and some are losers. But with Cornhole, it's never that easy. It's like, okay, sometimes I'm the winner, sometimes Philly wins, sometimes I win, but also Phil gets this hot chick's number after the match, sometimes Phil gets a divorce and lives in a shithole apartment, and I have a mansion and three different color Nissan GTRs. So, you know, some are winners, some are better winners. Whatever Buckets was talking about, it was clear to me that this wasn't a story that would present itself to me in a couple hours of interviews. Both men agreed to talk to me further, with Phil going so far as to say that he would do whatever it takes to get the true story out there. But before continuing my conversations with the two legends, I decided to study them. It was time to check the tape. Oh, wow. Nice shot. Oh, my God. Unfortunately, all the tape was before Cornhole really took off, which meant there were no announcers, no expensive production value. All of the footage of Phil and Buckets was old videotapes ripped to YouTube years later. The quality had suffered. But even in these tapes, one thing caught my ear. Look out below! Oh my god. Yeah, that's what I'd say before a uh, winning shot. Silliest fucking thing I ever heard. I wanted to punch his goddamn lights out every time. Were you upset that you didn't have a catchphrase? Or something that people could attach to you? I mean, is a postal worker upset that they don't get to keep whatever mail they want? Of course not. You do your job. I'm not sure I follow. It's like, uh, birthday cards. You stupid or something? I felt stupid. I was asking the wrong questions. How badly did you want to play him that first year? More than anything, I wanted to shut him up. But more than that, I wanted to put on a show. Uh, he was a loud defensive player. I was a loud aggressive player. Uh, it was a match made in heaven, honestly. Um, it was what the sport needed. Buckets was right about it being the perfect matchup. In fact, to this day, there are some who think Donnie Sales actually threw his semifinal matchup against Buckets because he was paid off by the WCC to force the matchup that would be better for the league. No one has ever confirmed this, but before the matchup could take place, tragedy struck. Some jagoff set off some firecrackers, scared the living daylights out of everyone. Well, we all panicked and, and took off, and by the time the pandemonium died down, everyone was, was gone, uh, out of there, <laughs> including me. 
Look, did I like getting my first ring because of a forfeit? No. Did I use some of that prize money to walk right into Macy's and get some Lee jeans? You're goddamn right, and I do it again. It would be nearly a year before the two of them would actually face each other. And by then, they'd gone from big personalities in Cornhole to larger-than-life superstars in Cornhole. That matchup, next time, on Blood and Beanbags. Today's episode comes to you from Garrett Pooler, fact-checking by Stephen Globus and Susan Plovis, music by Kevin McLeod, additional help from Cormac Merman and Jessica Clementine. I'm Arnold Turlish. Thanks for listening. Hello, people. Welcome to the inaugural episode of I Would Never in My Life Wear Black Silk Underwear, which is, of course, a quote from the 1991 Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle Double Impact, which I will be discussing today. My name is Wobbly Greg. Let's get started. The year is 1991, and Jean-Claude Van Damme's star just keeps rising. This guy is putting out hit after hit after hit. Really, this would be the third hit, because you have Bloodsport and Lionheart before this. I'm just going to give you a brief background on some of the logistics of the film before we get into a synopsis of it. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'm going to educate you, going to take you to school, get you learned, and I want you to ask yourself the ultimate question. Why have I never seen such art? This thing should be painted on the Sistine Chapel. I want a storyboard of Double Impact painted on the Sistine Chapel. Is that possible? Whichever Ninja Turtle, can we get them back there so they can do that for me? Please? I'm begging. Please. Hands and knees. Please. 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 I want Chad and Alex doing kicks when I look up whenever I visit the Sistine Chapel, which is, you know, quite frequently. I'm there all the time. Every other weekend. I'm like a, a divorced dad visitation rights at the Sistine Chapel. But anyway, Double Impact was made for about $15.5 million. You want to know what it did at the box office? Can you guess? I don't, don't go to Wikipedia. I definitely didn't. I just know this. It made almost $81 million. If my math's correct, that's like five times the budget. You know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Nothing to bat your eyes at, you know? And of course, the movie was directed by Sheldon Lettich, who wrote the screenplay for Bloodsport, Van Damme's first, you know, starring vehicle, which thrust him into the uh, atmosphere of the Hollywood star, uh, if that makes sense. I don't know if it does, uh, but it sounds good in my mind, so we're just going to go with it. He also directed uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's previous movie before Double Impact, which would be Lionheart. Let's get into a brief synopsis of the movie itself, shall we? Jean-Claude Van Damme stars as twins, 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 Chad and Alex Wagner. Now, JC, and I will let you know, he prefers his friends call him JC. And as for me, I consider myself to be a very close personal friend of the man himself. So whatever he says goes, you know. You want me to call you JC? You got it, pal. You got it, buddy. Whatever you want. And, you know, in my head, I ask him, why JC and not Jean-Claude? You know, it sounds so exotic. And he says, 
Our life on Earth is, you know, so limited. The time is so precious. Just say the letters. It'll go by quicker. And then I'll say something like, but Jean-Claude, it's the same amount of syllables, and he'll say, what are those? But but anyway, now I, I said he plays twins, Chad and Alex Wagner, and a, a very big part of the Jean-Claude Van Damme film lore is that he plays dual roles quite a bit. Now, he has over 40 films in the can, and when I say quite a bit dual roles, that means there are four. Uh, after Double Impact, we have Time Cop, we have Maximum Risk, we have Replicant, and the canceled way too early Amazon Prime show Jean-Claude Van Johnson. But back to Double Impact. So Chad and Alex don't even know that each other exists because their parents were straight up murked in Hong Kong when Chad and Alex were just wee little babies. Now, Greg, who would murder the parents of Chad and Alex when they were wee little babies, you're probably asking yourself. Probably in a room full of people, and you ask that question out loud, and they're thinking, who the hell is Greg? We don't know a Greg. Or if you're like me, you're sitting alone on the toilet, eating birthday cake, listening to a podcast. Well, tell you what, flush that sucker down, because it was a triad hit squad. Yup, a triad hit squad. Luckily for the boys, they escaped without being brutally murdered. Thank heavens. The family nanny, which was not played by Fran Drescher, although that would have been really cool, and I want to retroactively put her into the movie now, the family nanny was able to grab Alex and save him from the gunfire of the Triad Hit Squad. Then the family's loyal bodyguard, Frank, who was dismissed earlier in the evening, comes back and he sees Chad still in the car, so he takes him, and Chad is then raised in France. Ooh la la. Je suis la jeune fille, Moulin Rouge, crepe, crepe fromage, etc., etc. Flash forward 25 years, and Chad and Frank are running a pretty swanky martial arts dojo that also does, like, women's aerobics or something. I don't know. Either way, we get one of the most quintessential... Jean-Claude Van Damme moments in the history of cinema. You know, stretching is so important. For example, because of my big legs and karate, I can do the splits no problem. After all those babes are done gushing over Van Damme and Spandex doing a split, Frank tells Chad they have to go to Hong Kong for something to do with business, and we get some sweet traveling footage. Once in Hong Kong, Chad is mistaken for Alex and is brought into the office of the club he runs where Alex's girlfriend, Danielle, touches him inside of his pants and remarks on the fabric of his underwear. Record scratch! This is when Alex comes in and headbutts the shit out of Chad, which knocks him unconscious. Chad starts to come to all groggy and we get my favorite line of all. He looks exactly like you. Look like me? You, of all people, should know I would never in my life wear black silk underwear. From here, it takes some convincing by Frank to bring the two JCs together for a powerful mission. Take down Nigel Griffith, the son of a bitch who put a hit on their parents. And get this, Nigel and their dad were business partners. How fucked up is that? Can't trust anyone in business these days. From here, Chad gets mistaken for Alex and is beaten up for refusing to work for Zhang, who happens to be Griffith's new partner. The boys and Frank plant bombs disguised as bottles of 
cognac at a nightclub that Zhang and Griffith frequent. Unfortunately, they were not able to kill either of the two, but Zhang and Griffith learn. There's two of them. That's right, Zhang. Alex and Chad are about to go Yumi and Dupree on you and throw seven different kinds of smoke. And then we see that Danielle actually works for Griffith. She starts trying to do intel. She gets felt up by Griffith's female bodyguard. It's super weird. Did not know what was happening when I saw that as a child. And then fearing that she's in danger, she gets in contact with Chad, who then cannot find Alex or Frank. So he goes on a solo mission to rescue Danielle. And all the while this is happening, Alex is just having visions of an affair. And he starts hitting that bottle. And that's when the tour de force known as Jean-Claude Van Damme really starts hitting those acting notes. Like he was Meatloaf singing Bat Outta Hell or something like that. Motherfucker! Once Chad and Danielle get back from the rescue mission, we get a good little fight scene between the two brothers and... They're both, they both leave in a huff. And we're left wondering, are they going to be able to patch this up? To get revenge for their parents? Their slain parents? Only time will tell. And I'm going to leave you right there. Because you need to see this ending for yourself. I'm not going to spoil a movie, okay? I'm not a movie spoiler. This movie only came out 29 years ago. I don't know if you've had enough time to see it. There's so many dang movies out there. So what I want you to do is listen to this, and then you're going to rent the movie, and you're going to fast-forward to the part where I just left off, and you're going to tell me what you think. Or don't. I really don't care. I just want everybody to watch Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. You don't have to tell me shit. And with that, I think we're done with the inaugural episode of I Would Never In My Life Wear Black Silk Underwear. You heard the quote from the movie here, just now, like, I don't know, four minutes ago? You know, Franklin said this should be a half hour, but I just I just don't have it in me. Who the hell is calling my rotary phone at this hour? This better be good, you're about to wake up my damn kid. Hello, who is calling my house at this time of evening? Hello, you're listening to Jean-Claude Van Damme. Holy shit, Jean-Claude, I mean JC. Uh, how's it going? Uh, it's great to hear from you. I would like to talk to you about a film I made called Double Impact with a many-time collaborator, Sheldon Ledich, who also made Bloodsport and Lionheart. The film made $80.5 million. I kind of already hit all those notes. Do you have anything else you can give us? It is one of my personal favorites. Wow, that's so awesome. Me too. It's one of my personal favorites. When I was a kid, I had the poster on my door. Anything else you can give us before you have to go? I'm assuming you're a very busy person with all of your animals and philanthropic endeavors and whatnot. Oh, and one last thing. Awesome, I'm listening. They were trying to typecast me into playing the same part over and over. Those dirty, rotten bastards. I decided to play twins. Everybody loves twins, am I right? And it was my idea. And that's why you're the smartest man in Hollywood. I've been saying it for years. And for the record, I always wear black silk underwears. I knew it. See, I knew it because, you know, your acting is so good, but I can tell behind your eyes there was just something there that wasn't hitting for me, you know? Like, you 
you look like a man who likes the finer things in life, and silk underwear is one of those fine things I've been told. Thank you so much for that exclusive. Is there anything you want to say before we we officially end the call for the night? Vote for this podcast. Wow, that's all I can say. What an ending, right? I mean, I said earlier that I consider myself to be a friend of his, and he got my number and called me on my rotary telephone that I have hooked up to the computer. What are the odds of that, man? That's crazy. Anyways, uh, this is Wobbly Greg signing off, saying thank you for listening, and I hope we do it again sometime. Bye-bye. Well, I dance a bit, and now I'm really quick. I rock to the beat so viciously. Why you go imitating? Bruce Lee. I like to feel my highs, I like to feel my lows. Why you rock, 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 try to kick it with your toes? I'll do it for you now, and I'll show you how. I rock to the beat, so watch my feet. All right.